0: Good morning and welcome to the very first episode of Bite Size here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Yoni Pollack and I'll be your host every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Here's the way this show is going to work. Each week we will share interviews by different contributing hosts. Some may be quick bites and others longer. We'll have shows with one long interview and others with shorter ones. I promise you it'll be an exciting ride the whole way through and I'm thrilled to be sharing this ride with you all. This week, we have Jordan Gorfingel, a.k.a. Gorf, talking about a Jewish Comic-Con. Without further ado, here's Gorf.
1: The World According to Gorf. Shalom,
0: shalom, shalom,
1: shalom. The World According to Gorf. This is Gorf, Jordan B. Gorfingel, speaking to you. Welcome. My guest today is Fabrice Sapolsky who is presently residing in New York, but I know him from Paris, France.
2: Thank you for inviting me. You
1: are creating the very first Jewish Comic-Con, comic book convention. What is the date of this event? Where is it taking place? And give us what we call the elevator pitch, the quick summary of what it's going to be all about.
2: The event is called the Jewish Comic-Con. I think the name says it all, and it, Will take place on November 13th. It's a one day convention with a preview night that will be the preceding Saturday after Shabbat. There's a lot of firsts with this convention. First, it's the first Jewish Comic Con. Second, it's the first convention, first comic book convention organized in a synagogue, the synagogue uh, that is located in Prospect Heights, Brooklyn. And I think it's also the first comic book convention in America curated by a French guy. This convention is a mini version of those very big pop culture events such as the New York Comic Con and the San Diego Comic Con. And those events are like gigantic with tons of panels and and, and screenings and a huge main hall. Um, at the Jewish Comic Con, we will do exactly the same, but smaller. Instead of a convention center, we're using a synagogue. So the synagogue is a building that is has been built in 1924. So it's, it's not a big building, but it has a lot of cachet. And also downstairs, we will have uh, a conference room where we will have panels every hour with different topics around comic books and around Jews in comic books and even non-Jews in comics. But who did some Jewish content in their body of work. So this is is a very unique combination of Jewish creators, non-Jewish creators, but with all 100% Jewish themes.
1: You have said that this comic book convention is small. I don't want people to think that by small, it's going to be a lesser quality event than the bigger ones.
2: You're right. The ambition is very high. It's the way of thinking that I imported from Europe. Because in Europe, there's never as much money as there's in the States. And we have to make it look cool. So we're used to using all the tricks that we can to make it look, to make it look better. It's, it's, let me give you a, a comparison. If you have a blockbuster in the movies, you have a movie blockbuster, and it costs $100 million dollars. You have some directors that will put all the money in their own cars and trailers and whatever, and you have directors who will uh, put all the money on screen. We are the kind of people who put all the money on screen.
1: So what you're saying is the Jewish Comic Con is going to be the best combination of a convention and a symposium with a tight focus and every single piece of programming and for that matter, presentation being interesting, compelling, and scholarly.
2: Exactly. Uh, And the convention will run from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., which is, uh, I mean, they can come to the shul at 8 o'clock. There will be a service, uh, of course, and they're uh, very much welcome to join uh, the rabbi.
1: It might actually be the most interesting service that you can attend because... Tefillah will be led by Wolverine with a minion of various different uh, superheroes and zombies.
2: I have to share the creation of this with the president of the Cold Israel congregation, Fred Poliniki. And the, the idea of the Jewish Comic Con came at a Shabbat dinner where I was invited to his house. We sort of have like co-creating credit. At one point at like five o'clock, I don't know exactly what time, but there will be mincha. In the show, the room downstairs will be used for the service, and and there will be shaharit in the morning for people who want to come earlier and join us. And there will be bagels.
1: Well, of course, if it's a Jewish comic con, there must be bagels. But will there be little capes flying off the end of the toothpicks on the
2: bagels? That would be funny. I think it's very hard to put your Teflon with uh, uh with your uh, costume on. That would be funny. Very interesting.
1: Well, that gets back uh, to a very central question, which is, of course, uh, if you're wearing a cape like Superman, do you have to put Tzit on it.
2: <laughs> yeah, but fortunately, Tzit is only for service, except the, the, the one that you wear under...
1: What's going on underneath the spandex will stay underneath the spandex. Who are the guests that you are inviting? Who are the VIPs and the speakers and so forth? And I imagine that you do not have to go far beyond the New York area to find them since New York has been, for the last century, you'll forgive this cross-cultural reference, the mecca of comic book publishing.
2: That's exactly that. That's one of the main reasons why we started this, is New York started it all, except Superman, which came from Cleveland, but the publishing industry was in New York most of the marvel creators dc comics they they were all from new york and of course 80% of them were jewish so it made sense that we organized this kind of event in in new york in brooklyn because this is where i live this is my uh, synagogue and this synagogue was really open to some kind of this kind of event even the rabbi is a comic book fan which is probably uh one of the, he's probably one of the few rabbis openly comic book fan uh, in America
1: so you might say he's out of the cave about his comic book love
2: <laughs> yes
1: now we'll talk a little bit later about who specifically the guests are going to be. I want to turn our attention to you personally. What is your background? Where were you born? Do you have okay. siblings? Where is your family from originally? Oh my bring God. us up to date okay. on how you managed to make it. America.
2: So I was born forty six years ago in Paris, France. My parents were all born in France too. My grandparents were also born in France. My great grandparents on my father's side came from what is now Ukraine. We would call it Russia at the time because it it was we didn't know it was the Russian Empire and they fled from it in nineteen oh two. And that's an interesting story by the way. My family split in two on the way to France when uh, there were like two brothers and two sisters and the two brothers got into an argument in the boat and, and the, the, one of the brothers decided to stay and ended up in America and he never talked to his brother again and that's, that explains why I have one side of my family in America and I have uh, my side of the family that came to France. Do
1: you know where the uh, name Sapolsky comes from? What's the origin of the name?
2: There are different interpretations. Some say that that Sapolsky is the one who came from Poland, but we don't have any Polish origin in our family. They were more like Russian, and um, and or or maybe it was de- they were designated at, as the Polish because they they were there at one point. We don't know. We'll never know. Uh, but it's not a very common Jewish name. Everyone ended up in France except one who at 17 years old decided to go to America because he didn't want to lose a poker game in the boat. So that's, that's the story. That's the story. And we know that it, that it's a fact for sure because we were told the same story from a different point of view, both sides of the Atlantic. So it, it's really funny.
1: What do you mean by poker game?
2: Who was playing poker on the boat?
1: What, what boat was this? Where were they going?
2: I don't know. I mean, they traveled to Eastern Europe and then they probably took a boat to go back to France. They were not trying to go by train or uh, or anything uh, and they couldn't use the roads at that time. But that's what they slipped. They, they, they split in the, in a boat. We have very little details about how it happened. And on my mother's side, uh, they came from North Africa. Um, my uh, grandparents were in Algeria, and Algeria, of course, was France. From 19, uh, from 1860 to 19 1962, uh, so for over a century, they were a part of the French uh, Republic. And uh, so they had the same rights. So they were French, uh, but they were in, in, in North Africa. And, and my grandparents, my mother's side, came to metropolitan France uh, in Paris from Algeria in 1949, when my mother was born, and so every everyone met in Paris, and it's funny uh, because on a on a it's another funny story. There were not a lot of um, Ashkenazi Sephardi uh, marriages at the time, and my parents were one of the few. Uh, now it's common, but at the time it wasn't. I know that my grandmother and grandfather on my father's side so didn't really like that idea and they called it a mixed marriage which in retrospect is very funny.
1: Yes, nowadays if you're a DC person your wife is a Marvel person that would constitute a mixed marriage. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell us about your schooling in France. Oh,
2: that was that was all secular. I mean, uh, I was I was in the public system. Uh, until uh, I was like fifteen, and then i I went to a private school because it was very hard for me to uh, find my way in the public school system the French public school system, so my mother took me to a private school because my grades were awful and i I lost confidence at that time and so i, I and it was great because it gave me an opportunity to uh, grow as a person and, and and have a lot of confidence in myself so that I could finally graduate from high school and and go to university after. And I went to La Sorbonne University, which is known internationally. And I studied history for four years. At first, I didn't realize, I thought it was like, it like take me nowhere. But life has sometimes plans for you and Uh, Since I started working in comic books, uh, having studied history has become very precious.
1: You're using history as an inspiration for the
2: work that you're creating? Totally. Absolutely. I mean, uh, every comic book that I ever created has uh, an accurate uh, historic background. So it has become very important for me, Uh, even though at first I didn't think it would, because after that those 4 years of of studying history and in having a a degree um, I uh, switched to graphic design because I was I was more interested I always was interested in design in in drawing and everything but I thought I was not good enough to sustain a comic book uh, career as an artist so when the opportunity presented itself Uh, I switched to graphic design. My first professional work as a graphic designer was at a Jewish magazine. It was a a weekly magazine that I had to uh, design all by myself. And I had no team. It was my first job and I had no mentor or nothing. And it was like 48 pages every week to do all by myself with uh, all the text and illustrations coming in the last like 48 hours. I I learned a lot uh, in in those times, but it was very, very hard.
1: I can totally relate to this because at about the same time, I was living in New York City and commuting over one summer to somewhere that the LIRR reaches, you know, Rakankama or something, I forget what. Long Island. Yeah, I I just wanted to say Rakankama.
2: Okay. (laughs)
1: it's so much fun it is so i was designing an online grocery service and this is the early 90s so you can only imagine the dream was well ahead of the technology
2: it was 56k the connection
1: oh i don't even think we had a connection i think everything was carrying around hard drives the primitive hard drives of that time and
2: it oh, was SideQuest.
1: yeah exactly so fragile and when i started my cartooning work for the jewish week in the first year or two, I would carry the artwork into the Jewish Week, and they would have to photostat it, and soon after that, we had scanning technology, and I would bring in, I'd walk in physically, a sidequest drive or whatever followed it, I can't remember the names of the drives, so yeah. that the information could be copied onto the newspapers, the New York Jewish Week newspapers, hard drives, or their sidequest drives, in order to be laid out. It was a very different time. Things are, are much more sophisticated. But the advantage that I imagine it gave you was that you learned your craft. You could not be dependent on computer tricks. You had to have a foundation of actual graphic design, whether it was self-taught or learned from an expert, in order to do your work. And you've carried that skill into today because I know you to be a phenomenal designer. Thank you. You're listening to the world the according, according to, to Gorf on the Nahum Siegel Network. So um, we're talking with Fabrice Sapolsky, yeah, the that. founder and director You've of Jewish Comic Con. You've, You've mentioned your family. Tell us about your children, and I tell want to wish you a tov, because you, because you I recently did.
2: Yes, I did. married. Uh, my, my second uh, marriage, and, and and I'm very happy. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, but yeah, I'm, I mean I had a little life before, and I had and three beautiful children that are now 21, uh, 19, and 15. And
1: are they comic book readers? And are they comic book uh, readers?
2: Not really. That's that's my failure.
1: Why? It's interesting. This is not uncommon. Why? Why do you think?
2: I don't know. I mean, frankly, uh, not only they were exposed to comics, because when I was uh, with my first wife, I had my extensive collection of probably Three to four thousand comics at home. Well, I have to say that most of the comics that I read were in English. So until they were, they had the 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 level to actually decipher them and and read them in English, they couldn't have access to it because, of course, we were living in France.
1: So I I want to ask you about that. How did you, as a, well, there are two questions here. Let me, let me bifurcate. The first question is, tell us about your Jewish upbringing. You obviously are schooled in Yiddishkeit. Where does that come from? And then the next question is, how did that lead towards this love of comic books? What was your introduction to comics?
2: You have to understand that, uh, and a lot of my friends, and my Jewish friends in, in America don't understand that. Uh, the way we were raised in France was very different. And in France, you cannot be openly Jewish in daylight. At least in my generation, it was was not something possible. I mean, there was a lot of trauma from uh, World War II and the Shoah. My grandmother was deported, and even though on my mother's side, they were relatively safe in North Africa, they were still traumatized by war because they had the Germans taking over they were occupied and and my both my grandfathers were war prisoners uh, because they were french so they were they had been they had been drafted uh, to serve for the french army and of course the french army lost very early in the war so i had one grandfather who was treated as a war prisoner and nobody ever asked him if he, if he was jewish for 5 years while he was a prisoner which was incredible and and my other grandfather came from uh, North Africa, and he also was captured, but he, he managed to escape. So And he, he remained hidden in the mountains for a few uh, months or a few years, I don't even remember. Um, so war was very present, uh, and I remember my mother telling me that when they were in Paris, and I'm talking about the 1950s, when she was a little girl, uh, her father instructed her not to tell anyone that they were Jewish, they would have they would have to say that they were Spaniard. And on my father's side, they were not religious at all. They were they were totally ignorant. They were they were like uh, what we call the the Kippur Jews. I was not really exposed to that when I was a kid. It was even a miracle that both my parents are Jewish. I became increasingly interested in the Jewish stuff because my uh, my parents took me to a Jewish scout movement which taught me everything. And not only the Jewish stuff, but also how to be a leader, how to be responsible, how to manage crisis.
1: What was the name of the scouts group?
2: A a movement called EEIF, for uh, Eclaireuse, Eclaireur Israelite de France, which is like French scouts, French Jewish scouts, if you translate it. but we would call it just E.I.s.
1: If you were instructed by your parents to conceal your Jewish identity, yeah. how did that not conflict with being in a Jewish scouts group?
2: Something happened. <laughs> something happened, so to speak. Um, I lost my father when I was 11. And he, he died at 34 from a heart attack, which is not something very usual. And he changed the course of my life. Totally, he totally changed it. Uh, we were living in a suburb with my parents up to that uh, year, 1981. So we were living in a suburb that was uh, about 40, uh, 40 kilometers from Paris, that about 30 miles from uh, the inner city of Paris, and and we we were like any other French kid. There was no Jews. We were probably the only Jews in the area. But, uh, but it, was it was like, like a, sweet a sweet suburb, suburb uh, uh, a little bit with of a lot of diversity with people, with people coming, coming from everywhere. everywhere. And, and my parents, my parents loved this. So, so, but when but my, when my father, father died, and my mother, mother didn't, didn't have a car or even a license. Even a license. And, she, and didn't she didn't have a job. She was, she was not so working. So we, we had, had to, to go to Paris to closer to my grandparents on my mother's side. And, uh, so, and uh, so we came to, living to live in Paris while she was, she was looking for a, for a job, and everything changed at that, at that time. Because, because, of course, of course when, when you lose a parent at such an such early age, you grow up, up very, very fast. And, and there are there a lot are of things, things that you have, have to discover by yourself. yourself. And, and I think, I mean, I, I mean, was already curious, and, and my, 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 my brother, brother and I, we only have 18-month difference. So we sort of challenge each other constantly. About, about stuff. stuff. And, and as far as, far as, I, as can I could remember, remember it, it, I was, I was already, already reading comics. comics at the time. I even, I even remember, it, this is not really kosher, but uh, 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 my, uh, my, uncle, uh, my uncle, I have an uncle, uh, he, he, used he used to, used to come, come and, pick and pick me up, up to take me to the synagogue on Saturdays. On Saturdays. And, and um, we, would we would go from time to time because I was very close to my cousin. We only have two months difference. Uh, uh, we, were born we were born the same, same year. year. So we we're, so like were like brothers. But they were they a little, little bit more, more religious than we, we were. So, uh, so uh, we, we, we would, would go, go to the synagogue with, with, uh, with, uh, with them like, on, Saturday on Saturday sometimes. sometimes. And, and after, sometimes. And and after, after that, uh, um, he, would he would say, what do you want? It's Shabbat, what do you want? And I would always pick a comment. So my, so, my collection started growing after that. that. I would read anything, anything from, from, Spider-Man from Spider-Man to Conan to Star Wars. To Star Wars. Uh, that was uh, what, what we had access, access to at the time. The time. And, when, and I when I grew up, up I was and in I was in Paris, Paris. I, never I never stopped, stopped reading, reading comics, comics, but at but the same, same time, I was very much into the scout moment. Uh, uh, first, I was, I was a kid, kid and then I became a kid. leader. And finally, I even started working professionally for that movement when I was 24, 25, uh, I was uh, in charge of a whole whole branch, a whole set of young adults or teenagers, and I was uh, counseling and teaching other counselors and other leaders. Most of my Jewish experience or my Jewish curiosity came in In that period, period, when I was was a teenager. Uh, Uh, And it's also also interesting to know know that it's very very connected connected to to one particular synagogue that I I have and I have have always had a a very uh, close close relation to to, in a very very near suburb of Paris Paris, called Le Seine. And And in that that town, there was a fantastic rabbi and his wife, um, his, uh, his, uh, his name, name was, uh, was uh, Jerome, Jerome Cahen. And he, uh, he, really he really taught, taught me and, and a lot, of, a lot other of other kids of my, of my age, age everything, everything we could, we could possibly, possibly uh, understand, understand about how to be a Jew uh, in, the in the city. city. While well, in, well, in the city as as a, with a big city, It was a family that came from um, the east of France where it's a, there's a particularism in that area in France it's uh, it's not when you're a Jew or a Muslim or a Christian there uh, your religious rights are very different than from the rest of the country it's an heritage of uh, history so uh, he would practice a little bit different and had a very different view on how to be a Jew in in the Republic can you describe that right
1: now and for the recent past france has been the epicenter of the religious wars that have been going on in europe
2: that's because you know uh, france is the biggest community in europe so when you have the biggest jewish community in europe you're far more exposed than most of the other uh, countries Uh, and also uh, paris is very different paris and, and the whole paris area is very different from the rest of france Uh, because there are about a hundred thousand Jews there so there's a very rich vibrant and dynamic Jewish life even now even with all the problems and even if I mean it's it's not going very well um, you still have a lot of things uh, created every month or every week uh, to, to help the Jews to entertain the Jews to Uh, I mean, the Jewish life is very dynamic. It's um, it's not New York level, but it's still uh, in Europe. I think it's there's there's no match.
1: I'm trying to reconcile your upbringing being taught to conceal your Judaism with the vibrant Jewish life that you're describing. I know that when I visited you in Paris, I was blown away by the sheer number of kosher restaurants, for example. And of course, hey, Paris cuisine.
2: The highest number of kosher restaurants in the world. But that's because uh, the French Jews are also French. And you have to understand something that is very hard to understand for a lot of people. Napoleon um, when he broke a deal with the Jewish community in the in the nineteenth century, the deal was very simple you you um, accept the Republic and the French laws and you will get a citizenship, knowing that in France, as opposed to a lot of other countries uh, Citizenship and nationality is one and the same. And that's the foundation of the French Jewish identity. Is that in France, you are French before you are anything. In America, you can, you're Jewish-American. You're, you're whatever, whatever American. American but, you're but you're everything before you're American. American. But it's but not, it's the, not case the case in France. In France, in France, in France you're French, French and anything and after. That. And that, and that little, little thing, thing means a lot. A lot. And, and that, that makes the French, the French nation, nation, and I'm and putting put quotes, quotes, because, because that, that model has exploded in the past, the past 25, to 30, 25 to 30 years. But, but that, that makes that model, model now probably, probably the last, the last generation, generation have to have been raised with that, with that model. We, we think, think, we have a, we have a, we lot, have a lot, of lot in common, common old French old people. people. And, and I'm sure you understood you heard about the Art de, Art de view and, and all, all the, the things, things like that you the make the French French, French. French. taste the, the, the food, the, the arts, the and fashion, the and everything. And and it's within, within you. you. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't question, question if, if it's, it's something, something that you acquire, acquire over, years, over years, or it's or something, something that it's, that it's within, within you. you. It's not, it's uh, but, but it's, it's still very important to your identity. And when I moved to the states. I realized how much French I was because the France that I loved, I packed it with me and I'm seeing it every day in Brooklyn. Many of the French that I know are doing the same because it's not because the French that we know is no longer a France anymore and that was one of the reasons why I, I left. Uh, not, not the principal reason, but one of the reasons why I left. We still are very much attached to the French culture, and the French way of seeing things. Like when we go to a restaurant.
1: When you go into a kosher pizza joint in Brooklyn, what's your experience?
2: (laughs) Well, let me say that I'm very privileged because I live in Crown Heights in Brooklyn and we have uh, more than our share of kosher stuff. More than our share of stuff. So, a kosher pizza, so well, two kosher I have a couple of blocks to walk and, until I have and, a kosher pizza. I have a couple of blocks to walk until I have a kosher pizza. And there pizza are well, a number of restaurants and, and snacks. And that said, and, and snacks. this um, is not the quality that, said, that we have in Paris. This is Actually, not the, quali- the main difference that I would say for like kosher food would be that you can find everything in New York that you can have in Paris. The difference is the price range. In France, it's very medium priced you can have a very good with a nice decor uh, restaurant uh, with a nice dining experience for a decent price here in New York, if you want that, you have to go to the very fancy restaurants. You can't have this. you either have the the little pizza joint where you will you will have no seating or very little seating or very much noise and no experience at all. Or you can have the fancier places, but it's more expensive, especially the, the Sari restaurants.
1: But it's a big compliment then that you feel any cuisine that you can find in Paris, you can find in New York as well. You may be paying more for it because of real yes. estate, but nevertheless. What's an ingredient that you would cook within your food that might not occur to an American to use?
2: Oh, there are so many. <laughs> uh, for, for example, the Vegetables. You have to look very hard to get some diversity in vegetables. Let me give you an example. You probably didn't think about leeks very much in your life. Well, well, you never
1: visited my Upper West Side apartment. We had some
2: terrible leeks. So (laughs) I'm not talking about those kind of leeks. I'm talking about the vegetable, the leeks. I see. It's something that we like, and uh, there's a lot of cook. There's a lot of recipes around leeks. In French cookies.
1: The next time I go overseas, I have to bring back some leaks for you, assuming that I can get it through customs.
2: <laughs> you can't. I can tell you. It's not possible.
1: You know, worse comes to worse, I could always go visit Julian Assange and bring you back some WikiLeaks.
2: <laughs> well, well thought. Well thought.
1: You're listening to The World According to Gorf on jmintheam.org. This is Gorf on The World According to Gorf, speaking with... Fabrice Sapolsky, the founder and director of the very first inaugural Jewish Comic-Con. In and one sentence, what is the French way of being Jewish?
2: trying to be Jewish in your private life and not uh, showing it outside. Uh, let me give you a very simple example. My mother, uh, she was kind of shocked when I gave Jewish first name to my kids. Like, the, and she said, the, "Well, there's their their Jewish names, not their civil names." I said, "Yeah, it's one and the same." And she was kind of shocked because she was raised at a time where you could you had to hide that you were Jewish. And I don't have a Jewish name; my first name is not Jewish, and and in and my my Jewish name is not even on my papers.
1: Fabrice Sapolsky, you were raised in suburbs of paris
2: Uh, let me correct you i was in suburbs of paris until i was like 10 11 and after my father died i was in within paris in paris so i'm really a parisian
1: and from that age on you selected comic books as your treat of choice on shabbat is that how you learned english
2: my first exposition to english was music and i learned through movies Uh, it was cheap so I was at the the movies all the time with my brother we were going to the movies every week and there were video clubs after and we were video club kids
1: when I met you it was because I was looking for somebody to advise me on my graphic novel business internationally and I'm trying to remember exactly who introduced us I can't even remember anymore do you remember?
2: i Bob Greenberger and it's funny because I've never met him in person to that day ah And Robert got my contact from, I think it was from DC's licensing department.
1: Bob Greenberger was in charge of editorial administration at DC Comics when I was working on the Batman franchise there. So he was the link between all of the different departments in terms of scheduling and connections and so forth. So it makes sense that he would know you And then when we went on to do our own projects with Avalanche Comics Entertainment, the company that I formed after leaving DC Comics, it would make sense that on the projects we were doing for Microsoft and so forth, he would introduce us. And, of course, I had the opportunity to visit you in France and really see what your life was like. And one of the most profound experiences was your taking me to where comic books are purchased which is a very different experience than it is in the west so cool. fabrice can you do two things for me number 1 is can you bridge the gap between your school years and your first job doing designing and uh, becoming a comic book professional and can okay. you also describe the difference between comics in america and english language territories yeah. and comics in europe in non-English-speaking territories.
2: At one point, I grew tired of people asking me, oh, but can you write? When, when I was like 27, my grandmother uh, asked me to come to visit her. And At the time, my grandmother on my father's side, uh, she was uh, handicapped, and she had a stroke, and she was left uh, uh, with uh, one side of her body that, Was paralyzed, but she could talk, and she and she was great. Um, So she came and she said, "I'm not getting any younger, and I have little money, so I'm going to give all my grandchildren their heritage while I'm living because I want to know how you spend the money." So I thought about it for a minute, and I turned to my wife, my then wife. And I said, wait a minute, maybe we could buy an apartment or buy a car, but I want to found my own company and I want to make my own magazines. And, uh, so she said, okay. And then we haven't talked about it for like a few weeks. And then one, one Saturday afternoon, Shabbat, I was reading comics and I said to her, uh, How come there's not a news magazine about comic books? She said, you have to create it then. And it was then that I had the idea of creating a magazine that still existed that day called Comic Box. It was in 1998, so 18 years ago. And Comic Box uh, has had a tremendous impact on everything I did After, it was the turning point. I mean, creating my first company, launching myself as an entrepreneur and a press person. And it was an adventure. It was really an adventure. So, I did Comic Box for um, a while. I mean, the first three years, the magazine was monthly. And putting together a monthly magazine with four people was clearly a challenge.
1: Comic Box was a... Comic book fan magazine.
2: He was a comic book news magazine, which is a huge difference. Because I didn't know that at that time, but there was another magazine that existed in America called Wizard. And Wizard was a fan magazine made for fans by fans. So most of the news were made up or jokes. And it was kind of a serious version of Mad Magazine with superheroes. But Comic Books was designed to be serious. It was designed to be a magazine where you had like four different interviews in every issue, where you had uh, extensive coverage and very in-depth articles about what happened in the American comics industry. Because I was only fascinated with American comics. That's another thing. I was, again, the minority. My first comic book was I think it was Green Lantern or, or The Flash, in a pocket-sized version in black and white, uh, when I was probably six or seven. And uh, and uh, and really, I couldn't stand the French comics. But uh, France has an incredible comic book industry, incredible, bigger than the American industry, in size and in 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 revenue. But I only had eyes for superheroes. I think they spoke to me. And when you were a kid and uh, you don't feel really confident, I was really shy. And and after that, I lost my father and all. Those comics were really, really helpful. I really loved those stories. And to be honest, I mean, I know that every generation of comic book readers will say that their generation has the best stories. But we had the best stories. We had Alan Moore, we had John Byrne, we had Chris Claremont, we had Bill Mantlow, we had Frank Miller. We had the best. We really had the best. And, and to, to grow up with those comics when you're, when you're a kid or a teenager, it gives you a lot of ideas, it gives you a lot of things. It stimulates your creativity. And I think those comics have made me the creator that I am today. And really, in many ways. So, when I did Comic Box, I didn't know exactly what I was getting my head into. And I was probably foolish, but uh, it was the best decision in my life.
1: I don't think you were foolish at all. You're taking your experience from Comic Box, and you're translating that, you'll forgive me, you're translating that into the Jewish Comic Con, because you're taking all of your skills as a designer, as a manager, as a leader, and in particular as a Jewish person who is extremely worldly and passionate, and you're channeling it all into a one-day symposium slash convention that is the first of its kind.
2: It's even more personal that. I don't know if it's because I lost a parent or if I had something to prove in my life or anything. I didn't analyze it it very much, but I generally don't like to push open doors and wait for things to happen. When something doesn't exist, I try to create it. When uh, something hasn't been done before, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't do it. And I always acted like that. In 2001, I created uh, and it was a massive failure. I created the first website in France to sell uh, collectibles, and he was a massive failure because at that time the market was not ready. People were uh, not used to using their credit card or their debit card to order things on the internet. It was too early and I did the same mistake ten years after i was I created another website and it didn't work because I was too. I was ahead of my time, but um, I don't like I don't like doing things that have been done like a million times before. I don't like that.
1: With Jewish Comic Con, I think you are of your time. Comics and superheroes have never been more prominent. You are right, and I think also Judaism is having a tremendous cultural renaissance right now. We're feeling it in all the different ways that technology judaism and art are coalescing
2: i think also if i may and uh, because i have a very international mindset i, I always consider jews from everywhere uh, as my audience and i would say that we we're living a time where diversity in judaism has never been big, bigger and i saw something very interesting in the u.s that I hadn't seen in France. In France, it's very monolithic. When you are from the community at large, and when you are um, conservative, they don't speak to each other. They don't tolerate each other. They hate each other. But here, you can be conservative and talk to an Orthodox, or you can be reform and talk to a conservative. That's not a problem. There are a lot of people. Of course, not everyone will do that, but there are enough people. Will be open-minded to do it, and I think that makes us as Jews and as person uh, progress cr- tremendously. Because the, when you have an open, open mind and you can talk to people who are not who haven't been raised like you, but still are Jewish, it's very important. And I found here in Brooklyn, that, that community called Israel in Prospect Heights, my shoe. Uh, where the where the comic con is organized, I was not very much of a synagogue Jew. I didn't really like it, because I thought that people were too south uh, centered or ethno centered, if you want. Uh, they didn't think. They always thought that uh, they were right and the others were wrong, and that that was the impression that I had the last years I was in France. When you were talking to people in shuls, they were always, we're doing like this. If you don't want to do like us, you can go elsewhere. And that's not my conception of what a shul should be. shul should be open for everyone, not asking who you are, how you practice, or anything. If you're there, you're welcome. You're there, you're there. You're not there, you're not there. But you're still welcome. And I found that in Cole as well. They were open to my wife and I when we came. They they welcomed us the way we were never welcomed anywhere else. That made the transition very easy. It's funny because in my comic book career, I never made public statements that I was Jewish. Never, while I was in France. Because I didn't feel safe doing it in a country where religion is supposed to be very private, not something that you tackle openly, but in America it's very different you feel protected you feel different you feel that in a in in a city like New York you can say whatever you want I live in an area where there are a lot of African Americans uh, there are some Asians there are some of course some some Jews there are some non-jews everything is there and people know and there's no problem but it's something that I had never experienced before because in France, you can't do that. You can't.
1: Would you say perhaps that one of the aspects of comic books, its particular superhero, American-style superhero comic books that you related to, was that they had secret identities, that they could be something personal on the inside and powerful on the outside, and that related to your personal experience of how you were raised to be a French Jew?
2: That possible, Dr. But that, that wouldn't be the only explanation. I mean, there's a sense of, of style and dynamics that you can find in American comics that you don't have in French comics. And I would push that a little bit further. Um, you know the main difference between American comics and French comics? is it It's just one thing. American comics, you're in the driver's seat. You're with the you're with the superhero, you're with the character, you're inside the action, you're inside the book. The storytelling brings you inside the book. Uh, The French comics are much more contemplative. You are looking at the book from a distance. You're looking at the story from a distance. There's a distance between the reader and the story. And that's a huge difference.
0: Comments, questions, or you just want to fetch? go
1: to... Facebook.com slash The World According to Gorf. Tell us the goal of the Jewish Comic-Con. Who is the audience you're trying to attract? Will it be family-friendly? Will it be scholarly?
2: Okay, so there are like uh, three or four different goals. And it's not like one, two, three, four. It's like they're all important. They're all as important, equally important. The first one was to pay homage to those founders... Of our industry who I told it earlier were eighty percent or more Jewish and a lot of kids today they love superheroes they love the idea of comics they don't even know that these guys were Jewish and they did comics because they couldn't do anything else they didn't have any money they only have their creativity and some of them were terrible at being artists were terrible at being writers but they Couldn't do anything else. You had these teenagers because they were a bunch of kids. Some were 11 years old. I mean, Joe Kubert was 11 when he started. And suddenly they created something that everybody wanted superheroes. They created an industry. They didn't invent the comic books, by all means, but they took a lot of ideas and it became a whole industry.
1: Actually, uh, they, they did. Jewish people did create comic books. No, as, Jewish...
2: I'm talking about the creators.
1: Oh, the creators themselves did not. No, it was businessmen no. who were in bootlegging, and it's a very interesting story. Gerard Jones wrote a fascinating book that covers all of this.
2: There, there um, are a lot of stories and books about it, and, yeah. and frankly, this is not the main focus here. Right,
1: but these are all topics that will be covered or touched upon or potentially discussed at Jewish Comic-Con. What are your other goals? You said there were three or four.
2: Absolutely. The second goal was to uh, help the shul because the shul has been, uh, this this isn't a story for another day, but the the shul story is very interesting too. That's a shul that was uh, in decay and nearly abandoned seven or eight years ago. Uh, nobody came. And then a group of people took over and decided that this show should uh, be revived. And that's what they're doing. And they're doing it every week with the services that are great. And they're doing it with uh, activities such as the Jewish Comic Con and the Brooklyn Jewish Art Gallery that preceded it. Uh, they're doing with with uh, tons of things. They have like workshops. Um, I caught up. Two months ago, I caught them. Uh, I was at the shul uh, on Tuesday, and they were practicing art with, uh, with a professional that taught them how to uh, paint.
1: So you could say, to use the current vernacular, that Kol Israel is being rebooted as a center for art and arts in Judaism.
2: It's as much a shul, a full-functioning shul, as it is a place for art.
1: Fantastic. And goal number three?
2: Goal number three was to also bridge people together. That's something that is very important to me, is that the Jews are not on an island. We're not on a whole island that is like Jewish land.
1: Well, actually, if you live in Manhattan, you are.
2: Technically, yes. But you also live with other people. I wanted this to be universal. There are people that will be at the show that have never been in a synagogue before, that never met a Jew before, or know about the Jews but never talked to one. And I want to bridge people together because that's how I was raised. to. Remember that I was raised in an environment where you didn't ask for religion. I mean, when I was, uh, when I was in junior high school, my best friend's name was Muhammad, and he was Arabic. And we didn't talk about religion or anything. We were just best friends. And we didn't care that we were different. We were, sometimes we were joking that the, the, the recipes from our grandmothers were very close.
1: Did Mohammed, your best friend as a youth, read comic books?
2: He read comics, and we had another passion together. We loved Bruce Lee. and We loved Kung Fu movies. Which, which led me, that's funny, which led me to my new comic book project, the one that I'm starting in October. Uh, It's called Intertwined, and it's a comic book, noir kung fu story.
1: The comic book was created, and the superhero specifically, was created by Jewish people, and it spoke to a universal experience. So, too, the Jewish Comic-Con will be Jewish in focus, but with a universal flavor that will attract and be inviting to everybody.
2: Exactly, and which leads us to the fourth uh, reason. The fourth reason is more intellectual. I mean, we have 75 plus years of comics already. Where's the major Jewish character? Where's the major Jewish uh, influence? And we have to look into that. The major Jewish characters are very controversial. Why is that? Why can't we have a model, a role model, a Jewish role model? Is it is it normal that we don't have one? Or why we don't don't we have one?
1: Before, you described how there will be people coming to the Jewish Comic-Con that yeah. have never been to a synagogue before, but there yeah. may be many synagogue goers who have never been to a Comic-Con before. So can Absolutely. you describe the location and the space, the kind of experience that people will have coming to a Jewish comic book convention?
2: The first thing that, that will probably strike them is how we will convert the main hall, the main synagogue hall, into a convention hall, with tables and creators sitting at those tables, signing, talking with the the audience, presenting their work, their comics, their art, sometimes their writings, so the public will have direct access people will really have in-depth conversations with the creators that they only meet through the books.
1: At a comic book convention, merchandise is one of the most fun aspects of the show. Will there be things for sale at Jewish Comic Con?
2: There will be, but uh, it won't be the main drive.
1: When you say creators, you're referring to
2: artists? Writers and artists that will be at the show, yes. And don't expect to see any Pokemon or or, or uh, whatever uh, Minecraft merchandise at the show. This is not the place to have that. There are plenty of shows that will have Pokemon and, and Minecraft and all the Star Wars stuff. We have we are a Jewish Comic Con. We want Jewish things, and uh, all the merchandise you will be able to find is either related to the creators at the show, or something that is compatible with the convention.
1: So if you're seeking the Darth Vader Yamaka. This might be the kind of thing that you can find there, assuming, of course, that the person who created the Darth Vader Yamaka has properly licensed that intellectual property. But we won't go into that right now. Well, we're very excited for the very first Jewish Comic-Con. Fabrice Sapolsky, thank you very much for being on The World According to Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. And I'd
2: see you at the con.
1: Absolutely. I will be there, and my guise of being the creator of Everything's Relative and JewishCartoon.com.
2: I can drop a few names if you want. Love that. Ooh, exclusives. Go for it. Okay. Uh, So first, the programming will be handled by uh, two incredible guys with a lot of knowledge, and they will moderate all panels all day. Uh, Their names are Danny Fingeroth and Ari Kaplan. Both have written books about comics, and Danny has been an editor uh, all his life. He edited and he's been a writer, too. These guys are really great. Uh, Their knowledge is incredible about the Jewish theme and the comics uh, at large. Uh, We will have other creators, uh, such as Gene Haspiel. Uh, Dean is a fan favorite of the indie scene. He lives in Brooklyn, and he uh, he, right now he does something that has never been done before. He's doing a free comic book uh, on Webtoons.com. So if you want to check it out, it's a very cool comic, and it's a comic that is a Brooklyn-centric comic. Uh, So we will come, and he and Josh Newfeld, who also will be at the show, uh, have both been. Um, students of Harvey Picard, who was a major indie creator.
1: You know, San Diego Comic-Con started in a hotel room.
2: 40 years ago with about 270 people.
1: And And look at it now. Is it possible that 40 years from now we could be seeing Jewish Comic-Con taking place in the Javits Center with thousands of people?
2: We have to make this show a reality and make it a fun, and Jewish experience for everyone.
1: For more information, if people want to sponsor, if people want to volunteer, how do they reach out to Jewish Comic Con? Huh? That's
2: very easy. If they, want, if they want to buy a ticket or if they want to buy merchandise, we have cool merchandise already for the con. Um, if they want to support us or write us or anything, they can go to the www.jwishcomiccon.org and we will have an auction where all these original pieces by the artists, both present at the show and not, that's, that's a new uh, thing, uh, there are some artists that uh, are willing to give us pieces and that can't make it to the show but they still want to support us, uh, there will be auction and uh, the money from the auction will go to the renovation of the show
1: fantastic that's a very very worthy undertaking jewish comic-con preview night november 12 2016 that's Motzei shabbat saturday night
2: and there will be food and drinks
1: of course well are there are going to be the bagels with the toothpicks and the little capes flying off?
2: it's going to be better than that
1: well of course because your your french cuisine is going to come and play so please come on november 13th Sunday, Sunday, November 13th, to Call, call Israel, Israel, Congregation Call Israel in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Go to www.jewishcomiccon.org, where you can purchase your tickets, where you can volunteer, where you can get more information, and you can even preview and perhaps even purchase some of the wonderful merchandise that is going to be available. Fabrice Sapolsky, thank you very, very much.
2: Thank you. Take care. And
1: now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Torah Me Star Trek
3: Welcome to another edition of Torah Me Star Trek We will call this the Elul edition We need to focus on Chuva And perhaps Star Trek can help us We know that the new movie has just come out. It featured the incredible long death scene of the Enterprise. It had some good scenes for us and some good lines. But I wonder if you caught the name of the villain at the very end. When I saw it, I thought, no, they can't be doing that. It was Balthazar. Belshazzar look up Daniel the fifth parent Belshazzar has a very short reign just like in the Star Trek movie he is the one that Daniel gives the interpretation of the writing Mine Mine to Califarsen God has numbered thy kingdom and brought it to the end. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medians and the Persians. That night, Belshazzar clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should rule as one of the three in his kingdom. And that night, Belshazzar was slain. Now we have another significant event to note as we go into Chodesh and that is the departure of Spock, Leonard Nimoy. When they brought him
1: back in this movie as a
3: mode of instruction to the new Spock, especially with the picture in the end, Leonard Nimoy was able to teach us that you have to follow your destiny and that your destiny involves your friends involves the mitzvot of, yes. of wow. Bein Adam you might say that just like Hanavi was taken away and never died so it is with Leonard Nimoy who went on in this life and is now perpetual in the Star Trek universe. But if
1: you guys
2: ever
3: May his neshama be a male yosher for B'nai Yisrael. Because I got people. Live long and, and prosper, Leonard. An Keep on teaching us and entertaining us. Oh, and I'm but sure you're listening me. right now to Torah Me Star Trek. Echseiba <laughs> to all.
2: And, prosper.
1: and thus we reach the end of another episode of The World According to Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. As always, you can follow me on Facebook, The World According to Gorf page. Please give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And visit me on jewishcartoon.com. That's jewishcartoon.com for your weekly dose of Jewish humor. And for the best in Jewish vocal entertainment... Pella Singers. That's pellasingers.com. You have an Simcha, Barbat Mitzvah, wedding, you need some vocal entertainment? Please go to pellasingers.com. And until next time, this is Gorf wishing you Shalom. shalom, shalom.
0: And that will do it for today's episode of Bite Size. 9 Zweig's 999 is coming up next. Thank you for spending your 9 a.m. with me. My name is Yoni Pollock. wishing you all a good day and reminding you that the bite size is the right size.